Today's passage comes from 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15. We're reading from verses 1 to 19 and then 54 to 58. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what we believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that... You are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him in fact, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then we're jumping down to uh, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, Throughout history, there have been plenty of predictions that people have made that have turned out to just be plain wrong. Uh, History is full of stories of people who, with the benefit of hindsight, would have said very different things. Uh, One of my favourites is uh, the executive at an organisation called Decca Records. Uh, You might have heard this story before, but back in 1962, he had the opportunity to sign a new band to his record label. Uh, He wasn't too keen on this New band, though, and I quote, he said, the Beatles have no future in show business. Uh, He went on to say, 
We like your boys' sound, uh, but groups are out. Four-piece groups with guitars in particular are finished. Uh, Alan Sugar, who you may have seen on uh, the recent uh, episode of The Apprentice in Australia, uh, a famous English businessman, he made this unfortunate prediction about the iPod back in 2005. He said, by next Christmas, the iPod will be dead, finished, gone, kaput. Uh, since then, Apple has sold over 300 million of those things, although, of course, now the iPhone has killed the iPod, but uh, that wasn't what Alan had in mind. Uh, there's another from way back when. This comes from the president of the Michigan Savings Bank, and he once advised Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in this new Ford Motor Co. And he wrote that the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. All right, one more for you. Uh, the president of Western Union, a man named William Orton, he wrote this to Alexander Graham Bell when he was trying to sell him his new invention. And he said that the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. Predictions can be embarrassing when you get it so wrong. Before his death, Jesus made a rather bold prediction about himself. He said this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's not overstating it to say that Jesus' credibility hangs on this prediction. And it's going to be a bit more serious than having a bit of egg on your face for missing out on a great investment opportunity if he gets this wrong. If Christ has not been raised, then, well, then Christianity itself collapses like a house of cards. Uh, This is how Paul put it to the Corinthian church in that passage we had read for us earlier. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus is still in the grave, then Christianity unravels. The message that Paul preached, that the other apostles preached, the gospel itself, it's really a waste of time. And your faith is just as useless because it's been placed in a false saviour, a dead saviour. You've believed in a message about him that has been perpetrated by a bunch of people who were at best sincerely deluded and at worst pathological liars. If Jesus is still in that grave, then feel free to ignore everything that I said last week about the death of Jesus because none of it really matters. You are still in your sins. He is still in the grave. See, the resurrection of Jesus completes the work of the cross. And without it, the cross is emptied of its saving power. And so Paul here in writing to the Corinthians is adamant that if what we believe isn't actually true, then we deserve nothing but pity from others. That's what he says there in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people, uh, we are of all people most to be pitied. And that's right, isn't it? 
people ought to pity Christians if Jesus hasn't been raised? Christianity doesn't work if it's not grounded in reality, in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul and the other apostles, the writers of the Gospels, they're all convinced that Jesus was raised to life because they saw him themselves. They were eyewitnesses. And they want to share this message and pass it on to others. And that's what we see Paul doing here and reiterating in that passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Gives a little summary there of the people that had seen Jesus and testifies to it. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he's appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Here Paul recalls how the risen living Jesus appeared to many people after he rose to life again, to Peter and the other apostles, in fact, more than 500 people. He'll later say that he's appeared to Paul himself, and they all testify to this fact. But whether Jesus rose to life, it's not just important because it vindicates both the prediction that Jesus made about himself and the testimony of the apostles. The resurrection matters for other reasons too. It matters because of all that the resurrection achieves, because of all that hangs upon it. See, Jesus' resurrection wasn't simply for himself to come back to life. It was a victory for all of us. See, ever since sin entered this world, we've all been living in a kind of slavery to sin and a fear of death. When Jesus bursts out of that grave, he brings hope. Hope that we might be free from the slavery of death. His life is the guarantee that death can be overcome and that our lives are not ultimately futile. So in 1 Corinthians 15, in that second part of our reading, Paul writes that when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus, if you are in Christ, you share in his victory over death. And you don't need to fear what awaits you beyond this life. You can know that your heavenly father, the Lord Jesus, are waiting for you on the other side. This is our hope. And Jesus himself is the promise of what is in store beyond this life. Paul flags that idea in verse 20 of this chapter. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus here is the first of many more to come. That's what the first fruits are. He's kind of the first one off the production line of resurrected people. His resurrection is like a working prototype of what resurrection looks like. 
And in that, he's the proof, he's the guarantee that it's going to happen. Jesus has shown that death is not the end. And it means that what Jesus promised to Martha uh, when he came to visit her after Lazarus's death, that these are not empty words. When he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Because Jesus has been raised, we can be sure that we will one day live even though we die. Death is not the final word for those who believe in the one who has conquered death. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he not only conquers death, but he ascends to this position of supreme authority over our world. He's raised to rule over everything as Lord. When Peter speaks to the crowds on the day of Pentecost, uh, only a couple of months after the resurrection itself, he wants them to appreciate that what's happened in the outpouring of God's spirit, what they've just witnessed, he wants them to appreciate that that is the work of a man who only a couple of months earlier they had put to death. See, not only has Jesus been raised, but Peter wants them to appreciate who the risen Lord Jesus is. And if we read a little bit of Peter's sermon towards the end of it there in Acts 2, in verse 33, he says this, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter here is talking about the carpenter's son, who'd been walking the streets of Jerusalem not 50 days earlier than this statement. Peter says he is now risen, that he's exalted, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Here is the promised son of David the one who would rule on his throne forever and ever. This is the new reality. Jesus is Lord. And if you want to live in line with reality, you need to get on board with this. You need to acknowledge it. And if you're wondering why life perhaps doesn't make sense, why the pieces don't fit, Could it be because you're not living in a way that fits with this reality? The reality that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is the judge of this world. See, unless you make peace with the Lord of all, life will never work the way that it should. Now, of course, whether you accept this or reject it, it doesn't change the fact of who Jesus is. Not recognising the authority of Jesus doesn't mean that he doesn't have it. It's a bit like refusing to recognise the existence of coronavirus. Just because you don't think it's real doesn't mean that it's not going to make you very sick when it takes up residence in your body. Lots of people go through life making that kind of assumption about God, that if I don't recognise his rule, then somehow it's not real or that God doesn't actually have authority over me. Well, that's just the difference between reality and opinion. Now, sometimes being wrong about things 
It's not that big a deal. For example, if you happen to be convinced that the moon is made out of cheese, it's concerning in its own way, but it's probably not going to have too big an impact on your life or on the lives of other people. So long as you don't mention it, perhaps, to too many others. Definitely not during a job interview would be my advice. But if you get it wrong about Jesus, if you get it wrong about the ruler and the judge of the world, there are life and death consequences, eternal consequences. Because one day we will all come face to face with the living Lord Jesus in all his glory, in all his power. And we will have to give an account of ourselves before our judge. Acts chapter 10 verse 42 tells us that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. 1 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Regardless of whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is the one who's been appointed the ruler and the judge of this world. You will stand before him. That can be for you a day of great joy or a day of great despair. If nothing else, the resurrection of Jesus demands a response from us. It's not the kind of thing you can sit on the fence over. The crowd that heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, they recognised this. They realised they needed to respond in some way. In fact, they asked Peter what they ought to do. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter knows that God has started something new. A new age has begun where salvation and forgiveness can be found in Jesus' name. The resurrection not only proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, not only demonstrates that he's conquered sin and death, that he now rules over the universe at his father's side, but it also tells us that Jesus has come to bring peace. He's come to bring forgiveness. And he's come to bring in a kingdom of which he is the king. So when he returns... You can either meet him as your judge or you can meet him as your saviour and your friend. For those of us that trust in Jesus, the resurrection for us is the source of a new life and the guarantee of our hope for the future. The hope that Jesus gives us, this future that God has promised us, gives us a very unique perspective on life because we can live now looking forward to what God has promised us and it will help us to persevere in following Jesus. As Paul writes to the Corinthians right at the end of this chapter in chapter 15, having told them all about the resurrection, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. When you know the future that God has promised you, 
you can know that your service of him, your labour in the Lord, that is never in vain. Honouring God with your life is worth it. It won't always be easy. You may face opposition, anger from some, hatred from others. You might even find being part of a Christian community, part of a church, hard going. Some of those people might exhaust you and disappoint you, even hurt you. You yourself may hurt and disappoint others. And you may weary of that struggle to remain godly, to keep growing as a follower of Jesus, to be someone who is generous and loving. And you'll question whether or not all of that effort is worth it. You'll be tempted to compromise, to be half-hearted in your devotion to Jesus. It might seem better to leave the hard work of growing God's kingdom to others can justify it by telling yourself that it doesn't really matter that much. When those seasons come, remember the gospel. Remember the crucified and risen Lord, the Saviour, and stand firm in him. Remember the one who will return to judge the living and the dead, the one who's promised eternal life, to those that believe in him and keep your eyes fixed on him and stand firm. Let nothing move you because what you do in Jesus' name is never in vain.